Welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence, Ask the Experts, a live bi-weekly show to help you know what to do and what's new in digital marketing for 2021 and beyond. Ask questions, suggest topics, and grow faster with actionable insights and proven strategies from the world's leading experts. and welcome to Digital Marketing Intelligence for Entrepreneurs Ask the Experts. I'm Marissa Morgan. I'm your show host. I'm also the Business Development Manager at Engage. On behalf of myself and the entire team at Engage, I want to wish you a happy end of September. First of all, can you believe how fast the year is just flying by? All the fall feels are happening. I'm feeling sweater weather. Our digital marketing strategies are off the chain, right? Because you've all been listening to our biweekly series, which is a continuing educational series, not only on digital marketing and the digital marketing era, but also all the changes we're seeing happening as we call this now really a COVID era, right? So we're really excited to welcome you to today's show and our whole team welcomes you. And I'm excited to welcome you to part two of a four-part series with our special guest who I'll introduce in just a moment. We are talking in a four-part series about the topic of how to increase your conversions by more than 200%. And our guest is a former director of marketing of the world's largest social media marketing resource, and he's also a CRO expert. Today is part two of our four-part series, and we're going to be talking about convincing a prospect to take action right? That's what we want. We want more leads. We want more qualified leads, but then we want those leads to take action and to convert. And we'll be talking about the value proposition, your value proposition. And be sure to stick around because after today's talk, I'll also give you our Engage News of the Week, and you don't want to miss it. All right, before we get started, a quick mention about our sponsor, who is Engage. Now, if you haven't heard about Engage, Engage is this amazing free forever software that allows you to grow and scale your business with over 35 free forever tools, excuse me, <coughs> that can help you optimize your customer experience, maintain an excellent and very detailed CRM. We give you tools for automation. We even give you a really cool tool called Jitsi Meet that is a teleconferencing tool. It's very similar to Zoom. Um, not to be confused, by the way, with jujitsu, which we're going to talk about in a minute because that is a hobby that our guest really enjoys. So check that out, engage.com. It's free forever software, and you can check it out at engage, N-G-A-G-G-E.com. Also, a quick mention that if you're loving this idea of creating content by creating your own podcast or your own live stream, our company now has a program to help you produce your own show. We can either produce it for you or offer you a DIY guide on how to do it yourself. And you can find out more about that program, which is called Engage Live at EngageLive.com. Okay, without further ado, I really want to jump into introducing you to today's guest, Colin Lepiscopo, joining us from sunny San Diego. And if you don't know who Colin is, you need to. He is the Director of Campaign Strategy for the Global Leadership Network. He has eight years of experience in marketing live events, TV productions, Broadway musicals. I bet he has some stories he could share about Broadway musicals, best-selling books, and also online products. He is the founder of Meta, which is a CRO agency that helps businesses to grow and to scale. And obviously, we're talking about conversion rates and increasing your conversion rate, conversion rate optimization by up to 200%. And as I mentioned, we offer you Jitsi Meet, but Colin is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu blue belt who has quite a lot of experience in that field. Colin, before we dive into CRO and today's uh, topic... Tell us a little bit about your. It it's, probably sounds way more impressive than it actually is because a a, a, a jujitsu blue belt is basically a, you're kind of a semi competent grappling dummy for the upper belts, which are like purple belts and brown belts and black belts. There's only like five belts, and uh, so you're just good enough to like 
kind of do the right moves for them to like practice on. So uh, mm. I think Joe Rogan said it best. Like the way you get good at jujitsu is by strangling blue belts. And, and he's right. So, uh, so once I'm not a blue belt anymore, that's probably when I'll actually start getting good at jujitsu. So it's like five well, I, years, six yeah. years. And yeah, it's crazy. I think that's really awesome. I took Kempo karate <laughs> growing up. So I do have oh, some experience cool. with sparring and, and yeah. katas and, learning um techniques and things and i think it's yeah. great for anybody to have a I little bit it. of self-defense experience you know yeah real quick just how i get into it because i was um i'm i'll be 41 this year and um i started when i would think was 37 i mean super late man i mean my my body is not uh what it used to be and i'm a little guy i'm only like 160 i'm 510 so i've always been kind of on the skinny side and, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's big dudes, man. We got Navy SEALs that we train with, you know, we're here in San Diego. So these guys are 6'1", 250. But um, when I was, when I was a kid, I always like wanted to be in martial arts and I grew up with like Karate Kid and all that. And um, I just always wanted to get like a black belt in a martial art or get really deep into a, into a martial art. And I feel like jujitsu was a great one to pick because uh, it has a, a lot of uh, benefits to, to everything. Um, if anyone's interested in just learning more about jujitsu in general, I mean, you can always just go check out a class, but um, Hicks and Gracie actually just came out with a book called Breathe. And I'm not here promoting his book or anything, but I, I actually just finished reading it. And I was like, yeah, it's really actually just a good history of jujitsu and his journey as a as a martial artist. So if you're interested in martial arts at all, you'll probably be interested in, in that book. This is funny because I believe you challenged me, if I'm not mistaken, to guess where your cover photo was from your LinkedIn yes. page. And what's yes. funny is I was on your page yesterday and I actually guessed, is it from the karate kid? It's not, but that's, that's a really good guess. Cause it kind of, mm. it kind of looks like it could be, I don't think anyone's ever going to get it, but okay. I'm glad no, that you're, I'm going to try. I will at the end of the series, I'll tell you what it is. And then okay. you have to promise great. never to tell anybody. Sounds great. I love it. If you're just joining us right now on LinkedIn live, and I see the, the number creeping up uh, of viewers joining us, I want to welcome you to today's show and remind you that this is a live show. We are global. We're broadcasting live right now on LinkedIn live on YouTube and on Facebook and I'd love for you to share with us any comments you have throughout the show, or if you have questions about CRO or conversion rate optimization, or today's topic, which is basically part two of a four-part series. Today, we're talking about convincing your prospects to take action. So if you have any questions throughout the show, drop those questions or comments in the comment section, and I'll bubble them up to Colin as we go. Well, yes. Colin, Let's just quickly give our viewers and listeners, if you're listening on our podcast, a, a very short recap or overview of what this four-part series is about, and then we'll get into today's um, you know specific outline. Yeah, for sure. So um, this is part two. So part one was really the intro to CRO, and we talked about mindset and you know, how having a, um, a customer mindset versus a company mindset and uh, just the kind of definition that we're, we're using for conversion rate optimization, which is the process of increasing the percentage of prospects who complete a desired action. So that could be final sales. It could be signups for a newsletter. It could be clicks to from an ad, like a click-through rate opens, um, all of those things. Then we talked a little bit about mindset. Um, and then in, uh, in, in part two, which is today, we're going to talk about the, the relationship between value and cost and, and kind of how you can start to develop a, a, a value proposition, which is going to move your prospect to taking that desired action. And then uh, in part three, we're going to talk about the thought sequence that prospects have when they, when they land on your site and kind of uh, the sales page flow and how that can match their, their thought process, which kind of guides them towards that conversion. And then in the final, um, final uh, part, part four, we're going to talk through kind of just like a, uh, a view of how to start optimizing a landing page and align the goal with uh, the intent of people coming in, uh, some ways to remove friction. And we kind of use like a heuristical approach to this uh, and focus in on just some key elements. So we'll kind of talk through some of those. Wonderful. So today we're going to dive into this idea that there's some things we need to do, right, Colin, to convince a prospect to take action. Yeah. We're going to talk about what a value proposition is, but you're also going to help explain this idea of value versus cost. So yeah. the first thing we're going to talk about is thinking about your own conversions, right? Considering your own personal conversions. How long did it take? What made yeah. you convert? We're going to talk about that. 
Then we're going to get into this idea of what is your value proposition, okay? Um, and also, I know you really want to talk about this idea of value versus cost. So you'll explain what value versus cost means. And then also this idea of what is your value proposition. Then we're going to talk about this action step, which is crafting value propositions for your products and or services. So this is what we're going to dive into today. And let's just start with this idea of considering our own personal conversions. What yeah. are we looking at when you when you say our own personal conversions? Sure. When when we're on a, a product page and we're shopping? Is that Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this with, um, you know, we talked about abandoning carts, right? And how many carts have you abandoned? And, and you kind of shared a personal story. And it's really starting to examine that because what will happen is it'll become a habit. Um, mm -hmm. And I do it all the time is especially whenever I'm introduced to a new product or a new brand, right? So kind of some of the questions you want to ask yourself, um, like, this is maybe after you've made a purchase, right? Or maybe you've made multiple purchases or you've subscribed to something, right? The subscriptions are huge right now. Like how long did it take? And think about all the different touch points it took. Think about kind of, we're talking about thinking about kind of the journey that it takes. So was it one email? Was it an ad? Was it from Instagram? Is it, was it word of mouth? Because it was a friend that was like, Hey, I've got this company on Etsy and, you know, check this out. Um, and then if you didn't convert, right, sometimes maybe it was an empty card or something, uh, think about what stopped you, like what held you up and you're like, think, well, I, I got to their page and I was looking for a, and I didn't find a, and so I left, right. It could be as simple as that. Or you're like, yeah, the page didn't load or I got distracted, right. My, my house burned down in the middle of the conversion, right. There's ah. free things that could happen. I mean, hopefully your house didn't burn down. Um, and uh, so we're going to just think about some of those things. And um, and I will do this kind of just now by habit. Like I'll be thinking about a, a company and I'm like, okay, so what happened? How did I end up purchasing? How did I end up becoming a customer? How did I end up becoming a repeat customer? Mm -hmm. And how are they keeping me engaged as a brand? Um, and then if something held me up or something stopped me from converting. I'll think about those things. And you can start to apply these principles when you think about them to your own products and your own website and your own marketing. So it's kind of just that process. Um, think about I how think, you make those um, purchases. Yeah. I think what's really great about um, this tip really to start this thought process is you're putting yourself in the customer's shoes. We're right. all customers, right? We are all certainly, I think at this point, bombarded by different forms of e-commerce, different options, endless choices. So by putting yourself in the customer's shoes as a customer yourself, you're able to almost create this easy checklist. How long does it take for me to convert? What made me convert? Why did I stop converting? Um, and then that helps you as a small startup, a small to mid-sized business, whether you have a product or a service that helps you to better fine tune your message and also whatever sites that you are offering and play, yeah. you know, the places that you're offering your customers to connect with you. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked about this before with like, um, with like attribution too, because mm -hmm. a lot of times what can happen is marketers or business owners, entrepreneurs, they'll tend to focus in on the final conversion, right? Or we call it like, something like last last touch or last point ac acquisition right it's like the last action they took is what we're giving credit to so if it was a facebook ad or something that was the last thing they clicked well they might have engaged with a lot of other things besides that facebook ad and that's why it's important to think about your own conversions because it gets you to kind of understand this like um you might be sending emails and going oh people aren't opening my emails well open rates are going to kind of go away. We can talk about that another time, but that's an issue with iOS 15. But, you know, people aren't opening my emails. People aren't clicking my emails. People aren't making purchases for my emails or, you know, uh, these ads really aren't working. Um, and you can kind of get, get stuck on that last point conversion. But what ends up happening when you start to think about your own conversions, you're like, well, you know what? I've actually seen all those emails coming from that brand in my inbox, I just wasn't ready to open them. Or maybe the subject line wasn't enticing enough. And then finally, the fifth one, I was ready. It was the mm -hmm. right message at the right time. We'll talk a little bit more about that. And then 
I, I clicked it. I opened it. And I went to the site. I took, I took one more step, right? I clicked through, I opened the email and I clicked through, right? And then now I'm a little bit warmer maybe. And then I get another email and I was like, oh, that I, I, for, I had forgot. There's a lot of things going on in the day. It's a busy day. There's more important things than purchasing products through, through email, mm -hmm. unless you, you mm -hmm. really have a lot of time on your hands. Maybe that's your main, your main thing. And, you know, usually it's people are taking a break and they're like, I'm going to go see what's in my inbox. Well, you might've got distracted and then you came back the next day. Oh, I remembered now. Oh yeah. I, I did want to look at that product. And then they went back and, and purchased it. Um, and, I, and I can think of some good examples. So I had one product that I, I knew I wanted to purchase. And this is kind of a, um, it's something that takes quite a lot of time. It's kind of like a self-assessment, right? And um, kind of like for personal growth. I was like, oh yeah, I really want to do that. Like I already knew I wanted to convert. I'm like, I'm going to purchase that, but I wasn't ready. So, th so this is a good example of, of a customer that has high motivation, but the timing is off. Okay. And I can think about this with several things where I'm like, I want to do that. It's not the right time, but it will be maybe in three months or six months. So um, I had, th I had this, this purchase that I wanted to do and uh, for this kind of like, like little, little assessment. And, uh, and then I finally had saw, saw a Facebook ad and it was at this, this hour in between meetings where I, I had some free time. I was like, obviously I was on Facebook, right? Scrolling. And that's where I saw the ad. And I said, you know what? I'm going to buy this before I forget it. And I knew that if I purchased this, uh, I spent money on it. So it's going to motivate me to want to take this assessment when I have time, which by the way, I still have not taken this assessment. And I bought this like, I think like a month ago, but uh, I, I actually think I just saw another Facebook ad the other day. I was like, oh yeah, I want to use that product, which again, that's another good indicator. It's like that just reminded me to use the product. So I made the purchase and it was just a good example of, I got the right message at the right time. It happened to be that if I saw it an, an hour earlier, I actually probably maybe wouldn't have seen it. Or maybe if I would have saw it a couple hours later, I wouldn't have converted. So sometimes it's just timing. A lot of times it's just timing. And um, when you think about the journey, right, we talk about it like climbing up the mountain. Um, I was already kind of like, I want to, to, to climb up the mountain. Uh, I'm just not ready to, to climb up it right now. I don't have time right now. Mm -hmm. um, so it was just a timing thing. And um, so sometimes it's timing. Sometimes it's, uh, they're seeing the message. They're just not ready yet, or there's something else holding them back. So when you start to think about the things that are holding you back, like the objections you might have, that's, that's good to think about. Like it's not the right time. Uh, sometimes it's like, that's not the product I'm looking for. These aren't the droids you're looking for, right? This isn't, this isn't for me. That might, that might be a, uh, you're not their customer. You're not the right customer. And if that's what they're telling you with the data, like they're not, they're not opening. You got to pay attention to, to the data, you know, like they're not opening, they're not clicking. Um, then yeah, maybe you have the wrong, the wrong audience and you need to, to dial in who your customer is. But thinking about all those types of objections or the reasons why you're not taking action is also important. And then think about the things that led you to take action. So in this case, it just happened to be an, a Facebook ad at the right time. At the right time. I think that's interesting you say that because my background in television on air sales um, definitely naturally lends my brain to think about these things because we learn different ways, you know, to sell a product verbally right. through a screen when people can't touch it themselves. Um, and one of the things I remember learning is the idea that you start off a sale with the objection, right? Um, so that's something interesting too. If people aren't clicking on an email or they're not clicking through a link, even just changing up the messaging, um, is a great way to kind of test things because yeah, timing might be right, but if the message is completely wrong, right, um, right. then it doesn't matter if the timing's right because they're already on to the next thing. Something else too, just from a consumer perspective that drives me crazy. I do not like, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this too, Colin. I don't like the over positive assumption attempt is what I'm going to call it, which okay. is when I get an email from some sort of consultant or someone who has a service and they, the verbiage of the email is just so assertive and assumptuous that I'm going to want their product or service. And they're like, yeah, let's book a call. Click this link. And I'm like, <laughs> right. I don't even know who you are. Don't let's book a call me. Right. You know what I mean? Like, 
I'm not even calling my mom every day like I should be. Why on earth am I going to give my energy and time to a complete stranger who just assumes I want to talk to them? You know what I mean? To me now, I feel like those are even worse than like spam likely calls because at least spam likely, I don't even need to hear what you're saying. It's just decline. Yeah. When you get those emails and you open them, because you're like, oh, what's this? And then it's like, book a call. So I don't know. What do you think? I mean- I yeah, know that, I mean, that's a tactic. That's a that's a message. That's like a technique. I'm sure, but it I, really I, turns me off. I'm guessing it's working because they're still doing it. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I I I was just talking about these type of messages yesterday because um, you know, we were, we were talking about a, an email campaign and and how we're dealing with a customer that's in a different a different mindset. It was actually a really good conversation because I was like, I ignore these messages. I I'm I'm like you. You know, I, I delete them, and they were like, Yeah, but but this customer, these messages are powerful for them because it's, it's the organization it's coming from. And I was like, Oh, you got, thank you guys. You, they gave me insight into the customer, the customer mind that I didn't mm-hmm. have as an outsider. Mm-hmm. And it was very helpful. So that's what I love about working with different brands, but side note there, but um, yeah, I get that. We get them on LinkedIn. We know for sure. Right. The LinkedIn messages, the dreaded LinkedIn messages that you get from people. And then um emails where it's like they've uh with a new email address i'm getting tons of them so it's really funny and and i probably should like tear them apart you know and look at them uh but i don't want to be mean and uh yeah they'll send like two or three messages and they just seem so tone deaf and by the third they're like okay so uh you didn't open my other emails so like let's book a call and you're like wait what would make you think and uh, that, that that that's gonna work and a lot of times we we we, we uh, a good analogy is we'll put it into like if you're in a bar and you're trying to approach somebody for their number or something I was just and, not to interrupt you Colin but yeah. what came to, but I am gonna interrupt you because this excited me it's like that book he's not he's just not that into you I feel yeah, like someone needs like to write that. a business book you yeah. know what I mean we're not that into you we're not that and into it's like you. if you if you walked up and and asked someone for the number or asked someone like hey can I buy you a drink and they just like ignored you and you're like, Hey, you know, I got, I'm going to, I'm going to buy you that drink or, or I know you, I know you want to give me your number, right? That's what they're really saying. I know you want to oh. give me your number. Um, you know, <laughs> and then, right. uh, and then like, Hey, you know, I know like you've been ignoring me for the last five minutes, but I know you want to give me your number. So just give me your number. Like, right. <laughs> so I don't know, maybe that works at a frat party or something, but yeah, they're really tone deaf. And you know, when, when your message and there's no value there usually like i what's funny to me about some of these is they'll they'll be like hey like some random question like do, or do you want to learn more about my product i'm like why no why would i want to learn more about your product like i have i have no desire to learn more about you're some, like what is your product how did you get my name like yeah. i i know nothing like if anything if like because it's like I, I get it cold calling it's basically cold calling cold cold outreach it's hard mm-hmm. but you've got to like s- start the conversation very very gently or approach like hey um here's something here's something cool like here's a piece of value here's some value i noticed that you're in this industry this might be of interest to you like here, here you go. I'm, if already, it, if I'm it, already interested in what you're saying right now, Colin, just because from the there's change of your tone of your voice could be something there and you mm-hmm. can tone this. It can be personal in a letter like, Hey, I thought I, I noticed, I noticed you work for this company. I thought you might be interested in this. It could, it could bring you some value. If so, let me know. Mm-hmm. I'd love to talk more or something. Th- there you go. Now you've given them. And then if they don't respond, you could do a follow-up. You could do a reminder. Hey, I would just want to see how that, uh, if you were able to, check out that thing on page five, it shows you how to do this, which you know, they need that. Right. So again, you want to make sure it's the right audience for that, but there's definitely a much better approach to, uh, to going cold like that instead of the, like, I know you want my phone number. So, uh, let's book a call. Or I, I I know you you want to give me your number. I think it always goes back to, um, really it goes back to building the relationship. It goes back to nurturing your leads and and being where your target demographic is. And then again, the quality leads versus just the quantity and building a relationship. The humanistic touch makes yeah. a big difference. And in yeah. my opinion, and I and I know you agree, the humanistic touch isn't I'm going to randomly cold call you and ask you to set up a phone call. You know what I mean? That's like the And sound opposite. like a robot or sound yeah. like you're from a company, you know, cause you're, you're more likely to engage with content that sounds like it's from a friend 
or mm -hmm. this is why ads are trying to lean more towards, hey, how do people structure posts in the feed? Because you want it to look like it's from your friends in the feed, right. not from a company. Right. So the less it can be like a company and the more it can look personal, the better it's going to be received. Absolutely. Yeah. Great tips. Great, great yeah. tip. So basically we're starting a look at our own conversion um, yeah. kind of journey. Yeah, your personal conversion. Our own, like our company conversion journey by looking inward at our own choices and our own hesitations and our own experiences as a customer. Great yeah. tip. It can help you develop entire marketing campaigns because be like, yeah, I actually needed to read five emails before I made a purchase. And then you think like, you know what? We got to send more emails because we're we're not getting the clicks or especially if it's a complex buying decision. There's a lot of things you got to weigh, but thinking about those can give you really good insights into your own marketing for sure. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. I'm going to pop up our outline again because I know yes. the next thing we're going to talk about is this idea of your value proposition. But before we get to that, Colin, I know you wanted to speak about value versus cost and explain what that means. Yeah. So go ahead and share with our audience what what is value versus cost? What does that mean and where does it come into play when we're looking at our conversion rates and trying to improve them? Sure. Well, we'll look at the let's use the example of uh, of these inbox spammers, we'll call them. Right. Uh, they're giving they're giving zero value usually. And there's just cost. The cost is one. You have to read it. Um, there is there's a little literal mental cost to reading subject lines, clicking the open button, uh, reading through the email, clicking to the site, reading through the 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 page of the site all of that costs you time costs you mental energy um and these are all things you're weighing subconsciously you're not really thinking about the decisions uh based on what you're seeing so when you're like "Ooh, that's enticing to me you've already found some sort of value in there whether it was like you know sometimes there's clickbait things where you're like 30 things like you would never believe and you're like i I kind of want to know what those 30 things are. Right. And they, they, they get you with that, uh, that kind of mystery and you, and you click, you want to look. Right. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to do anything like that because we want to have a, a, a good expectation and deliver on, on what we're giving. But, um, but just the idea of every single little, I call them like, like mini steps that people have to take. Those are a little mini steps leading towards the big conversion. And it might take a lot of mini steps of like, they're going to read a subject line and decide whether they're going to open an email. So every one of those has a value cost relationship where there has to be more value added than the cost. So um, it's not a high cost to click something. Um, there just needs to be something that's uh, going to really it's it's setting up the expectation of value that leads to a click. Usually it's like, hey, um, here's what you're going to get when you click this button. And if they're like, that's appealing to me, I'm mm -hmm. interested in that. That's worth a that's worth a click. I'm gonna go check it out, right? And if now once they get there, you've you've delivered on that expectation, and now they see a page that, again, each one of these steps they have to read a headline. That headline has to lead them to read the subheading. That subheading has to lead them into reading the next paragraph of copy. Like that paragraph of copy has to have enough value in it, or give them enough to continue on the journey of reading that page. So when you start to break it down into these little mini steps, um, you can see where people can just say, no, I'm not going to read the next paragraph. They can say, no, I'm not going to read the subject line or the subheading. You know, each of these um, points in the, on the page and in this journey is a, is a step where they could say no. And that decision typically comes down to the value cost relationship. So that's why it's so important to think about um, as you, as you start to craft a value proposition. So, and if I'm not mistaken, Colin, as I'm listening to you describe really what value versus cost means in a buyer's process, you obviously, like you said, you want to create value, but in essence, every step is like a hoop or like a little bit of friction, or like you said, a Could step that a customer has to complete in order to get to ultimately what you want them to do. So along the way, it's almost like you have to either reward the customer with value, which you said, right? Yep. Along the way, or make that process 
so pain-free um, that it doesn't feel like a burden almost. Yeah, that's exactly right. Like, because you've, you've probably had this experience where you're like, why did I read through that whole page? You might ask yourself questions like that or like, why did I just read that whole article or why did I do, you know, like, like I didn't expect I was going to, like I clicked there. I didn't expect. Why did I even get to the point where all this stuff was in my cart? Maybe it was like, (laughs) no, really. um, Why did I just buy all that stuff? Yeah, but it's in your cart also. And and maybe they got you. This happened to me actually. Good, good example. We can kind of talk and maybe pick about. So pick apart. I got an email saying like, I know you've purchased from us in the past. We'd love to have you come back. Great. So I'm like, yeah. oh, I see a value because it looks like they're going to give me something to come back again. Right. So I click it and then they did something like, we're going to give you, um, I don't know. It was something like, we're going to give you this like kit. Let's say it's like a shampoo conditioner, like kit or something. Um, absolutely. And, and I'm like, Oh, cool. I mean, I did kind of want to try that before, but I didn't buy it because it was too expensive and I hadn't really tried their products before. So I just got something else that I wanted to try from the line. I didn't get those two items. So I thought, oh, they're actually going to send it to me free. Great. So then I click, I go to the next page. Then there's that for me, there's like the, the, but, you know, there's the comma, but first you have to spend this amount of money and buy this and this and this, and then we'll give you those things for free. Right. You know, and maybe I wasn't happy with that product that I bought to begin with. So I'm like, well, you stinkers. I want to say screw you because no, I already tried that product and I didn't like it, which is why I didn't come back. Now you're telling me to buy what I didn't like again and I'll get something. So it's just interesting because a lot of companies, um, they do their best. Obviously, the goal is a sale, right? The goal is to make money. Um, the goal is, you know, repeat customers, loyal customers. Um, but, you know, they start to get kind of sneaky in these sure. ways that they get you to yeah. seamlessly jump through the hoops. And it feels like a bait and switch there, probably. I mean, and we can, yes. I mean, we can break it down because there's there's a lot of important things there, there that happen. Because what can happen is... Um, that campaign, right, where they go, hey, you're going to get this, I don't know what it is, 25% off, buy one, get one free. And you go, yeah, and I'm sure we've all had this experience. You go, and there's a catch, there's a but. And then you're like, but you got to spend this amount. And you're like, mm, yeah, not worth it, right? Mm-hmm. It is not worth that extra cost. There's not a value there for you to do it. And sometimes right. you're like, okay, that deal's too good. I'm just going to load my cart with like an extra thing so I can get that 20% or I get that free shipping or whatever. Like you'll hit that mark. But what ends up happening is that might have, have seemed successful to them because people are going and, and, and purchasing or they're they finding other things them, they like. Right? And that could give them a false sense that it's actually working. But in the long term, it could be hurting them because they're, pro- they're likely to lose repeat customers because even if they we're getting more conversions off that campaign. What can mm-hmm. happen is it's creating a negative experience for customers where they go, Oh, well, I got bamboozled. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to get bamboozled or, or feel that way. Um, and they might've made the purchase anyway. And, you know, they might not come back and repurchase. And okay. if you want more, you know, if they're trying to to up their, their long-term conversions and repeat customers that could end up hurting them. So right. it's really important to look at, look at those things and you can run into things like that. Um, when you're optimizing things like subscriptions, mm-hmm. um, you can see like, Hey, well, we're getting more, uh, depending on like, let's say you're testing prices and things like that. You might be able to get a lot more conversions up front, let's say, but then you might have a higher churn rate. Um, if the price is lower or something like that, you can end up losing money in the long term. So it's really important that you look at the, the metrics and you measure things long term. Uh, with especially things like subscriptions when you're testing prices or like lifetime customer value, repeat customers, really important to look at those, uh, especially with the subscription models. So important, important note there. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Really, really good advice. Okay. Well then let's move on to talk, you know, a little more specifically then about yes. your value proposition. Yeah. So the term value proposition gets, um, I feel like gets thrown thrown around a lot. And really it's like, you're making a value claim is the, Mm -hmm. is the first part. And you're saying something like we are going to give you this, or you will get this when you 
take this action. So mm -hmm. if it's, um, if it's, uh, let's say a makeup product, um, the value proposition there is, Hey, we're going to, um, make you look better. We're going to make you feel better. Usually something like that, uh, when you use this product, right. You probably, mm -hmm. you probably can come up with a better value proposition for makeup than I can right off the spot, just from, from being a customer for so long. Um, but typically it's going to be, you know, especially like a headline, it's going to re revolve around the desired, um, outcome that you want, right? right. Like you want to look great and feel great. And so that's why you're going to purchase that product. Um, and then hopefully the product can deliver and that's where you need to kind of believe it. So, um, it, we can kind of break down a value proposition into like four different, um, elements that it needs. So, um, you need to be able to prove it. Um, first of all, so that would be like, cause you can tell people, Hey, our product's going to make you look great and feel great. And you're going to be like, well, I've heard that before. Uh, mm -hmm. because a lot of people tell me that, or, you know, Hey, our product's going to help you, uh, look better and feel better. You're going to lose, lose weight. And like, well, I've heard that before and it doesn't work. Right. So, um, you need to be able to, to, to prove it and, um, they need to be able to, to trust it. So, uh, that's where credibility comes in. And they have to like believe it. Um, so before they can even believe it, though, they have to be able to understand it. So a lot of times what happens is there isn't a clear value claim or value proposition, or it's just absent. It's completely absent. And um, you'll find this everywhere if you just kind of kind of go on websites or maybe pull up the last website you were on and try to find a value proposition. Say, are they saying that they will um, provide something that, um, you know, that's going to give me the outcome I want. And you might just not find it, or it might be like, here's part of it on the page. So it's really, um, when we get down to it, um, the value proposition is really the answer to like why they would purchase this product, why they should take this action. So that's kind of like the crux of it. So um, can they believe it is the credibility. The clarity part is, can they understand it? Um, so is it is it there? Is it clear? Um, what what the product is providing and then um the appeal that has to be appealing to them they have to they have to want the product right that comes with matching the right customer to the right product or, or service and then um the last part would be exclusivity which is only your company can provide it so when you look at all those together it's clear to them they trust they trust they understand it they trust that you can provide it uh it's appealing to them they know they want it and then they're like yep this is the company that's going to provide it um, and, and the only company that can provide it. So it's really the, the answer to the question of like, why should I make this purchase? If it's the, the ultimate sale, that's, that's what the value claim value proposition needs to be. And then it needs to contain kind of those four elements. So hopefully that makes sense. I know that was kind of a, kind of a lot to talk through. No, um, no. So it's cr clarity, credibility, appeal, and exclusivity. So let me play devil, devil's advocate. Colin. Yeah, absolutely. What happens when it's not an exclusivity situation and maybe you can get the product somewhere else? Do you have to just change the change the pitch a little bit? Okay, maybe you can get this somewhere else, but the exclusive offer, right? Maybe we sell it for less or maybe we can get it to you in three days or two days or we only have it in blue and yellow. Do you just have to change slightly that exclusivity message to find a way to make it exclusive, really? Yeah, if, if you don't have market differentiation, that might be a, 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 a big problem for sure. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Typically, there's ways you can find um, that your product will be exclusive. Like there's like, like, again, there's something that you can provide that, that other people can't. If, if that's not obvious, or there just isn't, you're like, hey, you know what, all uh, we sell solar panels, and everybody is selling the same solar panel, um, then I'd say, well, it's going to be very difficult. But um, you can just focus on the appeal of that, like, hey, but you know what, everybody wants these solar panels, like it's got, there, there must be a reason you're selling them. So like, oh, or, well, or, it's maybe, got or maybe try to figure out what would it, um, like, maybe I'm trying to think about how to word this, maybe what messaging is more likely to resonate with your customer. Let's just say your demographic is 50 to 60 year old people who are maybe getting close to retirement. They're living on a fixed income. Maybe you offer financing, right? 
Uh, Or maybe you're a very small family owned business, right? Right. And your, your target demographic is likely to be a grandparent or a parent. Um, Finding a way to differentiate yourself, even if it's not the product, but maybe it's your company, your company or something unique about your company itself. Yeah. Your, your company like value or your brand value proposition as a whole could have mm-hmm. some exclusivity, you know, like mm-hmm. um, there's probably one that I could do for, for, for Meta, which is like, well, we, we give back to the community in a way. And I know a lot of, a lot of companies do that. So that's maybe not quite as exclusive, but a little bit more like we, we give back to, to charity water, you know, uh, 10% of all our revenue. So that might be a good like value proposition for the brand. That's something exclusive to, to just us as an agency. Um, but when you, when you think about it, there, um, there are different, different value propositions that would be more for like a company uh if you're looking at a product that's like a product level value proposition um so there's different kind of iterations um you can have a a value proposition in your in your ad and that would be more of like a process because we're trying to get them to just click so what is the um how do we get them to make this click like why why are you gonna click this button rather than not click this button rather than do anything else so that's the question we're trying to answer with this statement. Um, and it's usually going to lead with value and it's going to be something clear like, Hey, you want to click this button because you're going to get this free guide on how to, uh, make your products more exclusive. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they go, okay, that's appealing to me. I'm trying to add exclusivity to my products, right? The targeting was right. Um, and, uh, you know, the guide is, is something that only they can provide, something like that. So you can kind of hit all those marks. Um, but it, that's, it brings up a good point that um, there's value propositions kind of everywhere. There's one for your whole brand. There's one for all your products and services um, or even a product line. And then there's even value proposition for, you know, clicking, clicking ads and all these different things. So it has to contain all of those elements. Great. Oh, this is so interesting to me. We're learning so much about CRO, conversion rate optimization. And and I think if you're listening on the podcast right now or you're watching our show replay, there's a lot to think about, right? You have this product, you have this company, you're working on your marketing strategy, you're trying to take action and include different, different things to incorporate this digital era that we're in. And you're trying to connect with your consumers where they are. But you really, I think almost the first place to start is, is really where we started today is almost just thinking of yourself as a consumer first and figuring out what your objections have been, why your cart sat empty, why you didn't click through an email, how it made you feel when you got an email that said, hey, book a call with me, you know, like, <laughs> and, and you don't even know that person. You're like, why am I, you know, so I think starting um, internally is a great way to put into play some different techniques and strategies for your, you know, external, um, you know, actions. And uh, yeah. it, it makes sense. It makes sense. Cause again, we are all consumers and we're all affected by all the changes we see happening. And it's true. We're bombarded by choices, ultimately endless inf- infinite choices that in order to stand out, you have to truly speak to the customer, to their needs, and make them feel like you care about them too. That's something we talk about at Engage is customers want to feel like you care about their needs. So anytime you have an opportunity too to personalize engagement, you're more likely to, you know, push that lead further down your funnel or, yeah. you know, get yeah. them closer to converting. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. And it it really does all kind of start and end with the value proposition because mm-hmm. that's the going to be the ultimate reason why they they purchase um sometimes companies kind of hide it it'll be you're like what is the value proposition for this company and it'll be like a lot of times a good place to look is the about page so if you're like i'm not sure what if you're like i'm still confused i'm not sure what my value proposition is there's probably a iteration of it on your about page if mm-hmm. you go there and you're like okay it says we do this and this is how we've done it. This is the evidence for how we've done it. And, uh, and you're like, okay, that 
now I'm kind of seeing it there. Um, it's, it's answering this reason of like why you would work with our company rather than go to another company. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's the question it's answering. Um, or why would you purchase this product rather than any other product? And you might go to your product pages and say, yeah, I'm not seeing a value proposition. It's not clear to me why I would purchase this product from this company rather than do purchase it from another company. Um, so that's gotta be clear. They have to believe that your company can, uh, provide that. So that's where you want to have like some trust elements or some evidence for that, um, of how you've done that. Um, and then it has to be appealing enough so that this is the product that they, that they want. Um, and then again, if you have that exclusivity claim, like only we do this, you know, um, and if you don't have that for that product, um, again, that's when you can look at like, well, what does your company do that's exclusive? But, um, uh, that's when we kind of focus in on um, there might be because c- the process of this is like there might be several different value claims for products or, or mm-hmm. companies. And mm-hmm. this is when the testing comes in where you're like, well, we've got like 10 things we can we can claim about this product. Mm-hmm. How do we know which one is is going to resonate most? Or uh, maybe we this one's not very exclusive, but we think it's very appealing. Mm-hmm. So these are kind of the, the things you're going to use to kind of measure that. Uh, but this is where testing comes into play, where you where you say, "Hey, I've got value proposition A, which is like, uh, man, everybody wants it, but but a lot of other companies are providing it. It's not it's it has high appeal but low exclusivity." And then you might have one where we're like, "We think customers find uh, this this part of our product appealing, uh, and only we do it." Okay, so that's good. I would I would if I had to give it like a high a higher score, I'd give it a higher score because you have more exclusivity. And then what you do is you, you, you test those claims, you, you know, start structuring your pages around them and say, okay, we're going to change the copy to focus on this claim. We're going to change all our email and send them to a separate landing page. And then we're going to test this other value claim. You put them head to head and you let your customer decide which one, you know, they'll let you know with, with their clicks and their dollars. Um, So that's when you start to get into testing these. And it's a really good place to start too. Um, But the initial, the initial phase is developing that value proposition, um, and then uh, and then applying it to your page. That's that's Wonderful. the first step. Then you can get Wonderful. into testing different claims. Oh boy, I actually brought up your testing um, in a conversation I had the other day with a company that um, has launched a lot of different ads on Facebook for actually a beauty product, and um, they said it's pretty crazy how much testing you can do. Because not only are you testing, let's just say different ads, um, cat versus dog. I actually brought that up in my conversation with them. Not only are you testing different ads and like the visual components, but then you're also testing them in different demographics, right? Or different locations, or maybe the messaging is changing. So it's pretty incredible the the amount of testing you can do. Um, But start simple. I think don't get overwhelmed. And I think, again, as as Colin shared, the actionable takeaway for today or the exercise that you can do moving forward is to work on crafting these value claims for your product and services. And, you know, I think um, I remember these back in the day, but do people still do, um, what are those like groups? Um, Like I, I actually got to do one like where I was like a, when I was a kid for like a toy company, like Tyco where I went and gave my oh, yeah. on the toys. Yeah. Um, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's like, um, I don't know, like a group, uh, consumer group? <laughs> like it's a, like a group test. Yeah. Where yeah. They, like a focus group maybe is what they focus call them. Group. Yeah. yeah. I feel um, like that's, you know, a, I don't know. And so they brought adults like, in to play with the toys. That's interesting. I mean, I uh, I said they brought adults in to look and play with the toys. No, um, I was a kid. Oh, you were a kid. Yeah, I was going to say. Yes. Yeah. But I felt so that's cool. an interesting one, right? Because you want the kids, the, the, the toy needs to be appealing to mm-hmm. the kid mm-hmm. who is then going to bug the parent to make the conversion. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 toys are an interesting product because, uh, and this is, David Lanning talks about this a lot in uh, his book. It's called Delivering Profitable Value. Um, because a lot of times you're, your customers may be different from the person who's making the conversion because they're, right. I would say, the, is the customer the, the parent or is the customer the child? And it's a little bit of both because the product needs to be um, appealing to the child and then it mm-hmm. needs to f- check some boxes for the parent who's going to be making the conversion, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like, is it safe for my kid? Is it going to 
mm-hmm. help them learn Cereal and grow. Is like a big thing I think about when I think yeah. about, you know, the parent and the child and the messaging yeah. that are going to both. So yeah. So um, definitely a good point. So yeah, as for, for the exercise, as you're like, okay, how the heck do I develop a value proposition for, let's say a product, right? You'd see, mm-hmm. probably have a product that, uh, or maybe you want to test something um, is, is go through and start thinking about all of the reasons like, like why somebody would purchase that product and how, um, how it provides value to them. Okay. So start making a list like, um, and think in terms of my customers want it. It's appealing to them and try to think in terms of exclusivity. It's okay. If it's not exclusive, just put it on there, like, and then start listing them. And then you want to identify, um, the ones that have the highest appeal and have the highest exclusivity. Mm -hmm. And that might be a little like exclusivity is usually a, a pretty easy where you can go, does any other company have this? No, or not quite, or not. A, we kind of have, we do it a little different. That's fine. It's exclusive. You can add it in there. Maybe it's just not rated as high. And then start to think about how these all line up. And you'll probably be able to identify a top two or three, you know, and, um, and then you can see like, okay, now are these, are these clear? Can we add credibility to these? Do we have like evidence to support these? Um, you know, and we've already looked at the, the, appeal and exclusivity. And then you can look at your page and say, do we have this anywhere? Are we leading with this? You know, mm-hmm. are we finishing with this? Is this everywhere throughout the the process? You know, they're, they're seeing this right before they hit the, the checkout button or on that, uh, on that final cart, uh, they're reminded of the value that they're getting and why they're making this decision. And if not, that's when you can start to test those things. Um, and, and so that's what I would start to do is start to craft, um, those value proposition statements. So remember, it's it's answering that question, like why they're purchasing that product rather than uh, your competitor's product. Wonderful. That's, that's the question they're seeking the answer to. Right? And they want to know. They want to feel confident and they want to feel justified in their actions. That's like they're getting the best deal from the that's best. That's why they're there. And the best yeah. product to fit their needs. Absolutely. Yep. Colin, as, as usual, wonderful show. Thank you so much for doing this four-part series with us on optimizing our conversion rate by up to 200%. Next week on Tuesday, we're going to be talking about your, you know, the sales page content flow, um, more specifically the visitor's thought sequence and what they're seeing when they visit your page. So I'm excited about that. And then remind me again, uh, part four, what will we, what will we be talking about? Part four, we're going to look at kind of landing page optimization and, Mm -hmm. and what you can do to start. Like maybe if you're like, Hey, we got our value claims down. We've got it. We've got our page set up. We're looking to just optimize at this point. Um, that's then we'll kind of look at some of the things you can do. Like, um, you can remove friction, align the goal on the page. We'll look at CTAs, kind of like all the, the big things you can do. If you're like, hey, look, I just need some some things that I can do right now. I want to test and, 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 and start optimizing. And that's what you can do. Perfect. So join us next week. It's going to be on October 5th, Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern for Collins Part 3. And I also want to remind you that in our part four, we're hoping to be able to actually choose two different companies um, and look at their web pages live. And Colin will go ahead and and give some feedback on their web pages, how they could maybe be better optimized. So I want to invite you, if you haven't yet, to go on LinkedIn to the Engage. Uh, oops, not that the Engage uh, company page and give us a follow. And on that page, anytime you see a post about one of Colin's shows, leave, or especially if you're listening to this show on replay, in the comment section, leave your company name and your company webpage. And then tune in for the fourth part of our four-part series because Colin will literally do a screen share, right, I believe, and we'll pull up... um, two different company web pages, and Colin will give you some honest feedback about how your web page looks um, from a customer standpoint and maybe give you some tips, right, on how they can optimize their own. Yeah, yeah, we'll do like a live optimization and I will just um, approach the site uh, <laughs> through, through through the CRO lens and try to identify things that, that we can help. Um, Cause there, again, a lot of times there'll be things that make sense and uh, uh, with that kind of that, that company um, mindset that uh, won't make sense to to somebody looking at it on the outside. So 
Awesome. So if you're listening to the show on a replay in the comment section, leave your company name and company website. If you are listening to us on the replay as well, or on the podcast, go to N-G-A-G-G-E, look for the rainbow colored cog on LinkedIn, and you can leave your company name and company webpage in a comment on any of the posts promoting our show series. So real quick, if our audience wants to connect with you, Colin Lepiscopo, they can do that on LinkedIn. Yeah. Colin's name, C-O-L-I-N-L-E-P-I-S-C-O-P-O. Yeah. It's a and long one. It, I let, it's great. Um, my legal last name is D'Onofrio. So I have huh? an apostrophe, a capital O, yep. so many vowels. So we're in that same, uh, we're in the team vowel um, group. And then also Meta the site is going to be Colin's webpage that you can check that out. Hey, if you're listening, if you're listening yep. and you're interested in understanding more or even hiring Colin to help you with your company's um, conversion rate optimization, boom, check out metathesite.com and you can obviously connect with Colin there as well. Awesome. Cool. Well, Colin, it's time for me to share our Engage News of the Week so I can let you go. Awesome. But I wanna, Thanks. I want to yeah, I want to thank you so much for joining us again for part two of four. As always, you're bringing us so much insight on how to boost our conversion rates. And ultimately, we know that's what all companies would love to do, especially now yeah. getting into the fourth quarter as well. Yeah, um, for sure. Holiday season. I've heard about too, Colin, is that a lot of companies are going to be struggling the fourth quarter because you know they start planning and start preparing and getting materials early in the year. Yeah. to create and build and manufacture products for Q4. And a lot of companies couldn't get the materials they needed this year due to the yeah. pandemic. So, yeah, I know there's a lot of supply chain issues and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah. it'll be very yeah. interesting to see in fourth quarter how businesses are impacted yeah. by that and which businesses, you know, can take that yeah. competitive advantage, especially. And, and there's there's some that I know have surplus too from, from mm -hmm. the pandemic. So some of them are like, okay, we're ready. Like, so, yeah. It'll be interesting to see lots of developments in our Lots world. of fun. And it's a great season to really start looking at, at all of the promo that you get too and stuff and start looking at it through, you know, the eyes of a customer. And when you're like, hey, I didn't like that. I'm like, well, don't use those things because your customers probably don't like them either. So Exactly. Awesome. Awesome, Colin. We'll see you next week. I want to thank you again and remind everybody to connect with Colin on LinkedIn. Colin Lepiscopo from metathesite.com. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thanks again, Colin. Another excellent part of our four-part series with Colin Lepiscopo, learning how to increase your conversion rates by up to 200%. And again, today we talked about understanding and creating and putting into play your value proposition. Why should your customer be buying from you? What is so special about you or your product? And what makes you different? Are you, you know, what makes you exclusive in the marketplace? It's very important for you to make sure that messaging is clear to your consumers. They shouldn't have to look for it on your website. As Colin said, sometimes you feel like you have to look for it and you'll find it. Um, but why do you stand out? That should be really, really clear and very easy to understand. And that'll make people feel confident to shop with you and to make sure that when they get to the end and their cart is full, that they do ultimately check out and jump through all those hoops and ultimately do what you want them to do, right? All right, this week's news of the week. What are we talking about this week? Well, this week we are talking about Twitter testing topic-based communities. So Twitter is testing a new feature called communities, which enables the audience to share tweets with selected and topic-based groups of users. Some conversations aren't for everybody, just the people who wanna talk about the thing you wanna talk about, right? When you join a community, you can tweet directly to that group instead of all of your followers. Only members in the same community are able to replay, ooh, how about reply, and join the conversation so it stays very intimate and very relevant. So what's neat about this, this is a lot like Facebook groups, right? It's getting the opportunity to connect with people who have similar interests. And that is brand new to Twitter and it's right now being tested and it's called Twitter Communities. Very cool. So many changes on social platforms, some for the better, some to make things more complicated and some to make shopping a lot easier, which is, which is really important, especially as we get into Q4.
if you're just tuning in or maybe you missed the show or maybe you would like to share and and um, share some of the insights from today's show with Colin, with some of your colleagues, I want to invite you again to check out our show library. It's called the Engage Show Library. There you can find all of our previous shows. You can replay them. You can share links. It's a great way to see some of our past guests especially if you missed part one of our four-part series, you can go there to watch part one and then you can catch up with today's show, part two. I also want to invite you to find us online at engage.com. Of course, that is where you can find the world's only free forever suite of engagement tools, www.engage.com. Join me next Thursday for... um, or not next Thursday, this Thursday for our next show, September 30th at 11 a.m. Eastern. Our guest expert is Ted Rubin. He's a keynote speaker, a best-selling author, and a social media strategist. He'll be joining me this Thursday, 11 a.m. to talk about relationship development strategies to help you exceed your sales goals in this COVID era. Really cool topic and very, very relevant. So join me this Thursday. And of course, a reminder to follow Engage on LinkedIn. Look for the rainbow colored cog. And if you are interested in having Colin do a live optimization on your company's website, in the comment section of any of the posts for Colin's four-part series, leave your company name and again, your company website. And you'll be in one of two companies who will be lively, lively, that's definitely not even like a word, but who will be optimized live by Colin Lepiscopo in part four of four. All right, you guys, on behalf of myself and the entire team at Engage, thank you so much for joining me on today's show and we'll see you here on Thursday. Have a great day, everybody.